Hi, good morning. I am Kim. I'm the kids pastor here at Gayton. And as you can see, we just got back from a fantastic week at kids camp. We looked at belonging to what God calls us to. And for kids this week at camp, it was diving deep into God's word and our relationship with Jesus. And then we looked at how we belong to God, how while we have identities that may come and go and change as we grow, our identity in Christ is forever. And then we looked at the ways that we belong to each other. And that is the call of the church, to love God and to love each other really, really well. And that brings me to today. We belong to God's community, to God's family. We are entering into a new series this month here at Gaten, Puzzled, where we will deep dive into parables that Jesus uses to communicate. When I hear the word puzzle, I think of having to work to put something together, to make all of the pieces fit just right together. A parable is a short story. It typically does not convey literal meaning, but more of a moral truth or a lesson. Parables are interesting because Jesus is trying to communicate a bigger picture to us, a significant truth to how we connect to him as our Lord. So here we are this morning, puzzled, because while parables can be loaded with good stuff, we may have to dig deep to find what Jesus has for us in our story. Today we are talking about the prodigal son. Prodigal can be defined as reckless, wasteful, extravagant, abundant. We sing about the reckless love of God, the God that pursues us with an extravagant and an abundant love. And here this morning, we are talking about the prodigal son. We will find a son who is reckless, wasteful. This parable was communicated by Jesus for us to compare a relationship between a father and a son and a relationship with him as our father and us as his child. We are going to jump right in this morning to the text. So we are going to go to Luke chapter 15. It will be on the screen behind me or you can turn with me in your Bible. Verse 11, he also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to a distant, distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Jesus's word is relevant. It was then and it is today. As we start this passage, we are introduced into three players in this story, a father and his two sons. I'm wondering how many second-borns or babies we have in the room. When I think of earthly families, we all get a rap, good and bad, about our birth order. We have expectations attached to birth order. We have natural instincts that come with birth order. And there is some truth to birth order. You have the oldest, the firstborn. The reputation here is the responsible one, the people pleaser, the parent pleaser. This may not be true for all, but it is true for a lot. I see you, Caroline. 
Then you have the middle children and the babies. Each birth order position comes with layers. But here in our parable, we first find a second-born son. And it may be said about the second-borns that they are irresponsible, that they are babied. The oldest would say that the youngest are the favorites. So Jesus is setting up a scene that we may find in our own homes today, watching our own kids, or maybe a scene that we grew up in. But I can imagine that we can all relate to the birth order that we find in this story. For some, it might be the older, responsible, rule-following son. For others, it may be the younger, the not rule-following or not expectation-meeting son. But we see the younger son ask for what he thought was owed to him. He takes it and he leaves. And Jesus also says that he lived foolishly, wastefully, recklessly. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So we see now that the son has entered into a time of desperation. He has spent his entire inheritance. He has nothing left. Nothing. He is so desperate that he is even willing to eat what the pigs eat. In Jewish culture, a pig was not to be touched, much less eaten. He certainly was at a low point. And if you can't relate to birth order in this story, then I can imagine that we have all been in a time of desperation. And maybe it wasn't for money or food, but a time when we would go to any lengths to get what we wanted. Maybe even what we prayed for. Maybe what we felt was owed to us. What we desired. For some of us, it may have been food. It may have been drugs or money or a job. Or we compromised who we were for what we thought we wanted. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I love it when it says that he came to his senses. At some point, we have a realization that there has got to be a better way than desperation. But we usually have to be at a pretty low point before we get there. I would say eating from a pig trough with nothing left to your name is a pretty significant low in life. We try and we try to do it on our own or do it our own way until we absolutely can't go any further. Then maybe there's a realization that there is a better way, a different way. And it is rough to go it alone or to do it our own way and then fail. For those of us as believers, we do this. We think our way is better. We lack patience. We don't want to sacrifice for the greater good. As believers, we know in our heads and our hearts that Jesus is better. That his ways are higher, but we still think that we can do better at times. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, I imagine that you might encounter times that are tough, 
and you're trying to figure out if there is a better way. And I'm here to tell you there is. And his name is Jesus. Verse 18, I'll get up and I'll go to my father. Here is a turning point for the son. He makes a decision that his way is not working. That there is better. And where does he go? I'll get up and I'll go to my father. And I've spent some time thinking, why does he go to his father? And every time I land at relationship, at belonging, my whole life and being is spent around relationships. I believe in pouring in the next generation. I believe in life change when we are walking with the Lord. I believe someone has to show us. I believe in putting adults and students who are walking with the Lord in direct relationships with kids. Because before kids can know God, they have to know someone who knows God. And as we see here, the son makes a choice to go to his father. To go where there once was a relationship and hopefully still is. But what choice does he have? To continue in his own path of destruction or to go to his father? To go home. The verse continues, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. The son here is believing. We know this because of what he says. He believes he no longer has a right to the position of son. But maybe, just maybe, he can be a servant. Because that life has to be better than what I have created. But for me, the critical point here is where we find the son. He has had a heart change. He is ready to come with an apology. He is ready for repentance. The son was wrong. He knew he was wrong. If he was willing to come with an apology, then we can gather that there had been heart change, that his heart had been turned. And where does he go? His father. For us, insert Jesus. A repentant heart leads us to the Father. For believers, we can always go to the Father. For those not yet walking with the Lord, here is a son who is going to his Father in the midst of despair, in the midst of wrongdoing, in the midst of messiness, and he finds redemption. Father, Abba, Daddy, I remember being on a mission trip to Miami, Florida when I was in college, and one of my peers was praying for a meal that we were sharing together. And he started the prayer, the conversation with, uh, hey, Dad. And that struck me because that is a relationship. That peer of mine belongs to his father. For me, I was gifted one of the best dads here on this earth. I lost him three months ago. He was a safe place for me. He was the advice giver. 
He was the listener. He was the comforter. And man, if my dad on this earth could be all of those things for me, how much more is my heavenly father who is the creator of comfort and safety and wisdom and listening going to offer that to me? Back to our prodigal or our lost son. He was on his way home. The verse continues, But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. This image gets me. This image of a dad waiting for his kid to come home. I know we have college parents in this room who are getting ready to send their kids off to college for the first time or maybe to send them back to college. And I can imagine that you have a countdown on. When is my kid going to come home? When am I going to get to see my kid for a visit? For kids camp parents who just sent their kids off to camp for the week, I hope you had a countdown on for when you got to see your kid. This father was waiting. For us, Jesus is waiting. And Jesus will be running. Y'all, this son messed up. He took from his dad without a thank you. He took his stuff, his money, all of the things, and he wished his dad as good as dead. And then he went and he blew it. He messed up royally. And I'm sure that this dad wasn't too pleased about it. For us, some of us have great dads on earth, and some of us don't. But let's focus on this dad, this father who really sees us, messed up and all, baggage and all, hearts blazing. And this dad, this Jesus, he sees us. He really sees us, all of us. And he is filled with compassion when his kids turn to him. And that's not the end of it. He sees it, sees us, he is filled with compassion, and then he comes running. My dad left this earth very quickly, very unexpectedly, and literally in a matter of seconds, he was gone. Not one of us had an idea, but the Lord was waiting. He was calling, and when we watched my dad's physical body leave this earth so quickly, the only image I had was my dad running into the arms of his father. This father embraced the son and his mess. He threw his arms around his son, and he kissed him. Grace. As soon as the sun's profile hit the horizon, he was home. Dad wasn't looking for an apology or an explanation of how he would earn back the money, the inheritance, or even his father's love. Grace was enough then, and grace is enough today. And the son accepted the embrace, and the son still came with his part. He could have said, all right, dad still loves me. I'm back home. Let's get back to life as we knew it. But the son's heart had been changed. So as he came and as he was embraced, the son still repented. Verse 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The dad said, bring out the best because a party is in order. My son who was lost has come home. The father received his son back as his son. When we see the robe come out, that is reserved for a guest of honor. When we see the ring come out, that is reserved for authority. When we see the sandals come out, those are for a guest, not a servant. When we see the meat come out, that is cause for celebration. Meat was served for only special festivals or occasions in Jewish culture. It was a rarity in Jewish homes. This son, he didn't even get to request to be a servant. He was home. He was with his father, and the father was with his son. He had come back to where he belongs. For us, Jesus is waiting for us to come to our family of belonging. Maybe for the first time, maybe a return home, maybe with a repentant heart, maybe a higher calling. A few months ago, it was bus stop pickup time. And the bus came, and my kid hopped off the bus, followed by other kids from the bus stop, plus a bonus kid. And the girls were giddy. Look who got on my bus and came over to this friend's house. The other parent looked at me confused and said, maybe I invited her over today, but I'm not real sure. We went about our business, and the girls headed down the street to play. Within minutes, my friend from the bus stop was fielding phone calls. Her phone was blowing up with bonus kids' parents with the school looking for the lost kid. Y'all, the kids had no idea of the magnitude of the situation. And sometimes that's us. We cannot see the magnitude of the mess we create. But we come alongside of each other in this family, and we walk with each other in the mess. We need each other. Back to the play date. The kids were playing and having a great time. Can you imagine showing up to your own bus stop, expecting your kid to hop off the bus only for no one to know where they were? That is terrifying. The father in our story, he didn't know where his kid had gone. He didn't know what he was up to. He didn't know if he was safe. He was just gone. Yet when he was found, a party was in order. My son who was lost is now found. The bonus kid that got on my kid's bus, she was lost and now is found. My son was lost and now is found. No matter what feelings of anger, you have at the said kid, at the school, frustration, lose my mind feelings that you have boiling up inside of you when your lost son is found. A party is in order. 
When this mom located her child, she embraced her. She wasn't too pleased with her, but she embraced her. And it was time to celebrate because the lost kid had been found. We still have one more player in our story. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Okay, siblings, insert feelings here. I didn't get on the wrong bus. I didn't go spend all of my father's money. I stayed home. I worked the fields. I did the right thing, and he gets the party. My son was lost and now is found. You know, in another story, Jesus goes after the one. He leaves the 99 behind for the one. Jesus throws open his arms to welcome his lost son home. What are we doing as a church to reach the one? What are we doing to offer belonging to the family? What are we doing when the lost return home? Are we throwing a party? When the lost join the family of God, a celebration is in order. Verse 28, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. This is a lot. First, we see a plea. The father is pleading with the older son. We didn't see that with the younger son. The one who came with a repentant heart. The older son's reply was, look, almost like a command. Not, um, hey, dad, that's great. I'm glad he's home. Can I get a party someday? It was, look, I've been slaving for many years for you. His attitude reflects his heart. It certainly is not one of loving service, but more of duty. He refers to his brother as that son of yours. This son has lost his belonging. It's no longer his brother. It lacks heart change. Do you see the tantrum being thrown? I get it. I am all for doing the right thing, and if not, justice being served. And I can guarantee you that this would have been my natural response. He messed up. Justice needs to be served, not a party thrown. And here's the thing. Those of us who live by merit and justice, like the older son, like myself, if I'm being honest, we can miss the grace of Jesus. It is so hard for those of us like myself to offer grace and even to receive grace. But Jesus is a God of grace. Jesus, so kind and loving, and this father's response says, verse 31, son, he said to him, 
you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus says, you are mine and I am yours. It's done. It is taken care of. We belong together. You have a family. You have a community. You have the church. It is all yours. But what about those who have gotten on the wrong bus? What about them? And here's the thing. We don't know if the older son went to the party or not. We can assume that if he went, grace was accepted. Support and challenge. These are two words that are heard in my house a lot. Both are necessary. Support and challenge. Grace and justice. It's not one or the other like we tend to make it. Jesus is both a God of grace and justice, of support and challenge. As a child, don't we learn to demand our rights and our wants way before we learn to value relationships? Yet here we are, as a child of God, we will get our inheritance. It is promised. But before all of that needs to come a relationship, and that is countercultural to us. We live in a what-can-you-do-for-me culture, we live in a what do you owe me before there is ever a relationship. Jesus said, you don't owe me anything. You are enough. Many say that this parable was misnamed, and I tend to agree. The prodigal son. This is less a story about a son's sin and more of a story about a father's love. Will we as a church live into that? My challenge today is who are we as the church? Are we the church that is saying, look how perfect and well-behaved and without fault we are? Or are we the church that welcomes the messed? Are we a church that welcomes the lost, the broken, the messy? Are we the church that responds as our heavenly father does? Or are we the older brother? Are we throwing a fit because it doesn't go our way or the way that we think it should go? Are we the older brother only seeing justice and never offering grace? Because here we are at the end of the day, all broken, all messy, all lost at some point in our journey and in need of a savior. It doesn't matter where we have been or who we are. What matters is who we belong to. We belong to a heavenly father that in his loving kindness welcomes us, runs to us with compassion. We belong to each other. We are a family. In the mess, we come alongside each other and we love each other in the mess. And we belong to God's family. The family who welcomes the lost home, the family who leaves the 99 for the one, who reaches our arms out with compassion and says, you are home. You belong here. 
we are going to transition to a time of communion. All are welcome at the table. Won't you join me?